all right uh, so good evening everyone my name is vikas agrawal and i am the founder of aif and dms experts india firstly i want to uh, say that happy republic day to everyone it's a very auspicious day in india uh, i think gautam you've logged in from us is that correct hi vikas actually i'm in uh, india right now for a short vacation so i'm recording from delhi okay great so it's a very special day uh, uh, one is because it's a auspicious day and it's a republic day and second with me i have uh, my friend gautam bed with me uh, on this show so thank you uh, so much uh, gautam for accepting our request on and decided and agreed to come on this show sure thank you vikas it is a pleasure to be here thank you so as all of you know that at aif and pms experts india uh, we run this show called ask the expert where we invite industry experts or somebody who has uh, amazing talent or you know uh, intellectual property i would say and understand markets well we kind of take the opportunity of inviting them we try and read their mind we ask questions on your behalf and idea is to exchange ideas with each other you know and try and learn something so let me have the uh, you know privilege of introducing gautam gautam is a good friend i remember we met uh, for the first time at bakshar hathways agm you know and uh, at omaha uh, this was i think 2017 if i am not wrong uh, and gautam was there uh, and there were very few indians uh, you know there were about i think more than 35000 people or 40000 people came together uh, in a stadium it was a big stadium where both charlie munger and uh, warren buffett they were speaking as a speaker and talking about the growth of their organization and how has been the performance and there were hardly 40 or 50 indians and gautam was one of them so i met him and uh, we had a great time i i kind of um, had a great uh, uh, time with him understood a lot that what is he doing at those days he was he was uh, 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 trying to look out for a job in us and trying to become portfolio manager there in us of course he was a portfolio manager in india by then uh, and he was also in the verge of writing book so the best way to introduce gautam is say that he is the author of this book called the joy of compounding one of my favorite book i think i would have not only read this seven or eight times i have also uh, kind of given as a gift to at least seven of my friends and told them if you read this book you are uh, you will arrive in your life you will understand the power of compounding for example uh, one good thing that i like about this power of compounding is if your portfolio today value is 1 crore and if it is growing at 25% year on year so at the end of 10th year this 1 crore becomes almost 10 crores you you know i am talking about the indicative numbers and in 20 years this 10 crores becomes 20 crores uh, sorry 100 crores correct uh, gautam uh and and then it is 1000 crores um, uh, after 30 years down the line so that's called power of compounding so we thought the best way to introduce gautam is that he is the author of this book and today we going to learn two things one what is called joy of compounding and the other thing is what is called discipline of investing so i'm not introducing him as a portfolio manager at small case and you know he's already introduced is one of his strategy which is doing very well he talks about long term we'll come to that second but the best way for me as a friend to introduce him is he's he's authored a beautiful book and this is helping lot of individuals investors to understand the power of compounding understand the meaning of portfolio management understand that what is called 
machine learning, continuous learning, understand how to upgrade yourself and understand how to create your long-term wealth. So uh, many congratulations, Gautam. You've done great job. This is the best way that you can contribute something to the society. So many congratulations from bottom of my heart. Thank you for the kind words, Vikas. I hope uh, to add oh, value to your audience today. Yeah, uh, I think we are not able to hear you. Okay. Is the voice coming now? I can hear you clearly. Better now. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Gautam, uh, the format of the show is very simple. Uh, what we're going to do is we'll be asking you a few questions and then if you have anything else to add, please add. If you want to wish to uh, put up any presentation, we would be more than happy to to have sure. it. Let, so let me just share my presentation with all of you. Sure. Just a second. Let me know if uh, the presentation is vis clearly visible and my voice is audible. Yeah, loud and clear. And the PPT is also very much visible. So my Perfect. first question before we start the discipline of investing, Gautam, what made you to write this beautiful book? Well, the joys of compounding is basically my heartfelt tribute to all my teachers uh, in life who helped me achieve financial independence and become a better advisor person and help me embark on the path to a fulfilling and meaningful life. And writing about and sharing my life's biggest learnings was simply my way of giving back to the investing community from whom I've gotten to learn so much over the years. Great. So there the first thing that I saw when uh, in the book is you talked about machine learning and you become wiser every day when you wake up. So can you throw some more lights on that? What is called self-learning? So uh, basically Warren Buffett often talks about compound interest and Charlie Munger often talks about the virtues of lifelong learning. So when you combine both of these, you get what my book is titled, The Joys of Compounding. More importantly, the subtitle, The Passionate Pursuit of Lifelong Learning, because it's my firm belief that even you know the, a person of average intellect you know, even with constant, you know, basically a person of average intellect with constant effort and very strict and strong discipline can actually achieve wonders. And to succeed in life, you don't need to do exceptional things. You just need to do the basics very well, consistently, and then watch the power of compounding take over and do it and bestow its magic upon you. But be mindful of the fact that compounding will bestow its magic upon you only after testing your patience to the fullest. And the power of compounding is backloaded. In the first five, 10 years, you'll hardly see anything happening. But once you hit the, the inflection point of the exponential S-curve, that is when the magic actually starts happening. That is what I'm experiencing in my life right now. Once you hit the exponential part of the J-curve, that is when the magic starts happening. But before that, you need to exercise tremendous amounts of patience and discipline. So in a way, can I say that you have to go through a very difficult phase of, of uh, or a painful area or a phase in your life when you really want to do something great? Is that you have to embrace a delayed gratification, resist instant gratification and uh, embrace delayed gratification. All the great things in life, be it your health, be it you know, your intellect, be it your goodwill, be it your wealth, be it your knowledge, all of those great things will come from compound interest in the long term. So... And the best part about playing the long-term game is that it's very less crowded. There's hardly anyone playing the long-term game nowadays, especially in the age of social media, where uh, you know all these uh, you know people living as per the external scorecard and you know the whole concept of comparative uh, you know, comparison-based existence that's just becoming 
amplified in the age of social media so the idea is to play your own game the idea in the life is not to beat others at their game the idea is to live life as per the unesco card and play your own game and that is the true definition of success in my view to live life in your own way and to live life aligned with your values to live a life aligned with your values and make it very meaningful and fulfilling i think that is a life well lived sure i also see that you bring about more than one and a half decades of experience on the table as a portfolio manager and i saw that you also touched upon what is called portfolio management services in your book as well would you be able to throw some more lights because there are few investors who have joined for the first time and they would like to know more from you what what do you think what is your views about uh, portfolio management i think uh, over time you as you gain experience in the markets you realize that portfolio management in essence is all about risk management first and return second because once you protect the downside the upside takes care of itself and that's why at survival partners we have a very keen focus on endurance durability and sustainability and we, and because we understand how long term compounding works we are fiercely focused on protecting the downside for our clients and i think that's the way to go in most areas of life as long as you can avoid the foolish mistakes and just uh, keep doing the basics well you'll do fine and one more very important thing i would like to mention here is that many people think of being invested in a single stock for a long time period of time as a virtue but i often tell people it's not about being invested in a single stock for a number of years that's important what's important is that you remain invested inside the market in a portfolio of good stocks for a long period of time because what will happen is a good business does not necessarily mean a good stock there'll be there'll be many instances during your career when a stock of a good business becomes outrageously expensive and the upside potential looks limited so in that in those cases even though the underlying business is good you need to have you need to evaluate your holdings dispassionately and uh, based on the potential for upside from the current market price and even though it's a good business you may have to sell it and replace it with a stock which has got good better margin of safety so that's i think very very important always think in terms of opportunity costs as a portfolio manager you have to keep thinking in terms of opportunity costs and think about whether your existing portfolio at a portfolio level can give you the desired uh, rate of returns over the medium to long term that's very very important instead of getting anchored to the past purchase price of the stock all right so after uh, you know uh, getting the confirmation from your end the moment my team started inviting some of our investors the first question which came in their mind is when is gautam starting his portfolio management services <laughs> and we saw some of the tweets also you know uh, going around so first of all i would like to congratulate you that you recently launched your portfolio you know at small case uh, but any view that when are you planning to uh, come out with pms so after uh, so after my uh, initiative 6 months ago of chapter then i started this small case and now i'm working on setting up a india hedge fund in the united states and it will cater to american citizens and green card holders so that's going to keep me busy for the major major part of this year 2022 i may consider setting up a pms later in in india after that but for now i am very very busy with setting up uh, the india fund in the us because i'm a very big believer in the india opportunity i very strongly believe that the opportunities in the next 20 years in india will be far greater and superior than the opportunities of the previous 20 years and i'll talk about that in the presentation today as well and i really wanted to bring this india opportunity to investors in in america 
So I've already met a few prospective clients in December. I traveled to Silicon Valley, California, and I met up with a few prospective clients. The initial response has been very, uh, favor uh, very, very good and enthusiastic. And what I'm very happy about is that uh, I'm designing this fund. Uh, it will be modeled after the original Buffett partnership, zero management fee. And over the last 12 months, uh, I was basically working on how to make this fund very, very client-centric because like I said, we want to play the long-term game with long-term minded, like-minded people, right? So I basically, just like my small case, I wanted my investors in the India fund to self-select themselves. Only those investors who want to basically be long-term partners, they, you know, they self-select themselves, they themselves who, who understand my philosophy, they approach me they, that they want to get uh, associated with this particular fund, invest in it for the long-term. I think that's the way to live a very happy and peaceful existence as a fund manager. And uh, people who, are, who have attended my second chapter, uh, the, the fourth and final week of the second chapter is actually uh, titled Positioning for Longevity as an Emerging Manager in the Investment Business. And basically, I've taken, I've, I've implemented all the key principles from that particular module of that chapter into this particular fund. And Basically, I wanted to walk the talk. It's not just enough to share theory. You have to actually implement the same in real life as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And great that congratulations, you've started uh, this advisory business. And uh, there are a lot of people who might be interested and they were asking me, can you uh, talk to us about your chapter also? If Suppose I'm the investor and I wish to be a part of it. How do I join? Or what do I have to do? So uh, you can uh, log into getchapter.app slash Gotham and it's a three chapter series of four weeks each. The, uh, it's a curation based learning platform and the idea is to take you from beginner level to expert level in just a matter of you know, those three chapters spanning over 12 weeks in total. And it's more of an accelerated learning program. And the whole idea behind chapter is to curate and provide you the best and greatest content on the internet on any given subject matter. So in my case, I've taken up the subject of investing. And uh, for the last 15 years, I've always had this personal habit of curating content and just bookmarking my favorite content. I never thought it will help me 15 years down the line uh, in the form of chapter. But again, this is again a compounding in action. All those 15 years of reading and collecting all this information. Finally, when the opportunity came my way, I was more than happy to join the founders of chapter, Kyle and Steve, on their mission to make a highly specialized education very affordable and accessible to all the learners across the world. So, so far it has got a very good response in the first six months. And I'm, I think, uh, you know, over time as the awareness about chapter grows, I think we'll make it into a very big community of like-minded lifelong learners. Okay. So we'll come to the topic. Uh, we can start the presentation and uh, uh, over to you, Gautam. All yours. Sure. So, uh, hello everyone. Uh, very happy Republic Day to everyone attending the presentation today. Uh, today, I'll be speaking about the discipline of investing. Uh, standard disclaimer before I begin. Uh, this presentation is solely for information and knowledge sharing purposes. And all the stock examples shown are for understanding concepts and should not be considered as stock recommendations. Stella Wealth Partners is a SEBI registered research analyst firm. and we may hold some or all of the discussed stocks from this presentation in our proprietary accounts or small case model portfolios. It is also possible that we may have exited or may exit from these stocks in future without prior notification. So please do your own research and due diligence 
for any investment actions and consult a registered financial advisor for the same. And most importantly, the views expressed are my own personal views and do not represent the views of any entity or organizations. This is the uh, statutory disclosure as per the SEBI guidelines for all the corporate research analyst firms. So just take a moment to kindly go through it. I think the most important uh, point is actually is in the first one that uh, the research analyst and the research entity that is relevant partners, we may own or may have owned in the past some of the stocks discussed in the presentation. Yeah, and uh, want to add one more point here. The disclaimer is that please do not invest just because this idea is discussed in the presentation. You please consult your investment advisors or you speak to us. What do you think? So this will be the flow of today's presentation. I'll be taking everyone through my investing framework, uh, demonstrate the same through the use of case studies from the Indian stock market. And I'll conclude with a brief about how value investing resembles a life discipline. So all the great investors in the world have one common characteristic. They all have a clearly defined investment philosophy. And that investment philosophy in turn is defined by their personal experiences, the careers learning from other people through books. In my case, uh, these are the books that have defined my personal investment philosophy. Terry Smith's Investing for Growth taught me how to invest in high quality businesses for the long term. A Capital Returns edited by Edward Chancellor taught me how to invest in cyclicals and commodities using the capital cycle approach. And Joel Greenblatt's You Can Be a Stock Market Genius taught me how to evaluate various special situations like demergers, reverse mergers, and other special situations. This is a brief snapshot of my investment process flow. At any point, particular point of time, I have a list of existing ideas for which I keep tracking their performance and I keep taking feedback on the management and the business. And to that existing watch list, New ideas are added from time to time through an idea generation process. And finally, I come to an active watch list of 10 to 15 high potential opportunities that in turn feeds into my portfolio construction and portfolio tracking and rebalancing process. Let me talk about the portfolio construction and tracking rebalancing part first. My portfolio on an average comprises of 20 to 30 stocks. The reason for this broad range is that in a, in a bull market, when you get earnings expansion across sectors, the number of opportunities goes up a lot during a bull market. So the number of holdings for many investors tend to go up during a bull market because you have got broad-based earnings growth. And during bear markets, when the earnings growth dries up, you end up with a concentrated portfolio because the number of companies having good earnings growth is very limited. The aim is to generate 20 to 25% CAGR for the portfolio over a minimum holding period of three plus years at any point of time. And I follow a sector and market cap agnostic investing approach with a bias towards under-researched and well-run small to mid-cap companies. There is no hard cap on the contribution to the portfolio from any one single idea or sector or market cap range, but prudence is maintained at all times. The weight per stock ranges from three to 5% in, at the time of purchase and the exceptional opportunities may get an allocation of even up to 10% at cost. The decision to exit any investment will solely be based on their business performance or their potential incremental IRR or internal rate of return. A portion of the portfolio is kept in cash if the valuations of existing holdings and the watch list become exorbitant. We don't go into cash based on our prediction of any macro event. It's completely a bottom-up approach. As far as portfolio tracking goes, I track the industry trends of all the portfolio companies like changes in competitive landscape, technological 
updates and changes, government regulation changes, any supply chain disruptions. The quarterly results of each company is, is evaluated against my own expectation and the performance is benchmarked against that of competitors. A detailed diligence is carried out in case the investment's performance is not as per the initial investment hypothesis. Finally, we come to portfolio rebalancing. When investment is, is sold, if its valuations become absolutely expensive or if there is a structural challenge to its business fundamentals, the portfolio companies are periodically ranked based on valuations, earnings performance, expected future stock returns, and the rebalance is done accordingly. And a fresh or follow-on investment in an idea is done only if it can deliver an attractive IRA over a period of the next three years. Now we come to the crux of today's presentation about how do I go about generating new ideas? This is a very common question that I keep getting all the time that how do I generate new ideas on a regular basis? What is the idea generation process? This in brief is the snapshot of how I source my ideas. So every day I diligently review all of the corporate announcements on the Bombay Stock Exchange website. And it's a painstaking exercise for many, but for me, it is like an intellectual treasure hunt wherein I may strike gold anytime. And every day I'm creating numerous opportunities for serendipity and good luck to find me. I review press releases, investor presentations, M&A deal, joint venture partnership agreements. When I'm evaluating quarterly results of companies on my watch list, I'm looking out for breakout earnings. So what, what does breakout earnings refer to? It refers to situations where a particular business is experiencing sales growth of more than 50% year on year, earnings per share growth of more than 100, 200% year on year. And in those cases, the stock market is generally a bit slow to adjust the stock price of those companies to the right, to the correct higher level. They take some time to actually adjust the stock price to the right higher level. So in these cases, you get what is known as PEAD, post earnings announcement drift. So even if you buy those stocks 5-10% higher the next day after the, those blockbuster earnings, you still end up making very good returns even after that. I try to attend the conference calls of all, all my existing holdings and watch list uh, companies on websites like Trendline, Alpha Street, Research Bytes. Even the company website investor relations section is a good source, especially for micro caps. A peculiar problem with many promoters in India is that they tend to be overly bullish during uh, the good times and overly bearish during the bad times. And it's very important to corroborate and cross-check what they are saying with what their global peers are saying. What is the commentary and outlook being, being given by the global peers? I also try to attend the management interviews of the companies that I'm tracking on, on in print and digital media. As far as screening tools go, I use screeners like Tejori Finance and Screener.in. Tejori Finance uh, is very good for tracking commodity and chemical prices. And uh, Screener.in is good for tracking companies uh, which are either undergoing a very big capex program or which have recently completed a very big capex program. You can also get uh, through the screening tools, the list of stocks hitting 52 week high, all time high, post IPO new high. Now, what do I refer when I, what do I refer to when I'm saying post IPO new high? In case of many of the new listings after the initial listing pop on the listing day, many of these stocks tend to go into a long-term consolidation for eight, 10 months or more. And once they break out to a new high after that long-term long -term consolidation, it generally coincides with some important development taking place in that particular company. So look for stocks which are hitting a post IPO new high after a long uh, time period consolidation. 
As far as equity research reports go, I like to read reports issued by Ambit, ICSA Securities, Spark Capital, Indian Infoline, Nirmalmang, and Axis. I read the annual reports, credit rating reports, the draft red herring prospectuses and QIP offering documents of the companies that I'm tracking. The, the prospectus and the QIP offering documents in particular are a very good source for rich detail on the underlying industry. So for instance, if someone wants to understand the economics and the, and the dynamics of the music licensing industry in India, they can read the recent QIP offering document of a company named Saragama Limited. I also read the investor letters of uh, fund managers whom I admire and respect. So I, I like to read letters written by Solid, Solidarity, PMS, Sage One, Equirus. I try to attend the investing conclaves like Tamil Nadu Investor Association, India Investing Conclave, and webinars like those provided by SOIC are also a good source for idea generation. A less talked about source for idea generation is fund managers top five holdings from PMS Bazaar website. So the sign up is basically free and you, and you can actually get a look into the top five holdings of the fund managers whom you like and respect along with their allocations as well. So this is less talked about source, but it's a good source for added generation. I also review the bulk deals, block deals and insider buying data on a daily basis. Stockage app does a good, good job at this. The 52 week high volume list is also a good source for added generation because if the stock of any business is experiencing a 52 week high volume, it generally tends to coincide with some important development taking place in that business or the underlying industry. For magazines, I like to read uh, Fortune India, Forbes India, and Outlook Business. And uh, as far as newspapers go, I like to read the I like to read the Economic Times and Business Standard. I also go through industry-specific websites like for chemicals, I look at Chemical Weekly. For steel, I look for steel, I look at Steel Mint. For commodities, I look at Plats.com. Apart from this, I also have daily ongoing discussions with my peers and colleagues in the investment profession. And I also look for the views of the leading analysts of individual sectors. Finally, we have got social media platforms like Twitter, WhatsApp groups, Telegram channels, and online forums like Value Picker and Multipy. Now, I ask all our uh, listeners today one simple question that if you go through all these sources on a daily basis for the rest of your investing careers, how can you not be simply flooded with great opportunities all the time? In the stock market, if you put in the hard work, you'll get disproportionately rewarded over time. But in, uh, in the stock market, there is no alternative to hard work. And in life, business, investing, nothing will work unless you do. And there is no reason for you to settle for an inferior track record in a marketplace like India, which is filled with companies and stocks having outstanding fundamentals. This is one of the most important slides in today's presentation, and it is something which I'll keep referring back to again and again, which, which is that the key attribute of great investors is a relentless focus on the underlying process. And I've talked about the same in my book as well, and I quote, numerous research studies have identified a common trait among successful professionals in fields of probabilistic activity. They all emphasize process over outcome. If you focus only on the outcome, you are less likely to achieve it. Instead, if you focus on adhering to a sound process, the outcome will take care of itself in the long term, although the short term results almost always will be driven by luck. Over the long run, a sound process can be counted on to deliver desirable results in a sustained manner and produce more reliable outcomes. And Michael Morbison has spent some gems on this topic in the past, and I'll quote him. In a probabilistic environment, you are better served by focusing on the process by which you make a decision than on the outcome. 
we have no control over outcomes but we can control the process of course outcomes matter but by focusing our attention on process we maximize our chances of good outcomes this is the key for investors this is the best that all investors can do the only thing in our control is the process and because investing is a probabilistic activity what that means is even after following a sound process the outcome may not, may not always be favorable even after following a sound process you may end up incurring a loss on a stock but on average over a long period of time you'll end up being successful because in all fields of probabilistic activity over the long term skill and process wins in the short term the outcomes are driven by luck i follow a multi pronged approach for idea generation i track key company metrics like leaders in niche sectors with low competition having healthy balance sheets high returns on capital employed and good revenue growth i track the investment activities of private equity funds hedge funds and mutual funds i also look up to the views of respected individual investors who i admire and respect insider bank data is also pretty important i track the industry developments as well for instance sectors undergoing supply side consolidation a good example here is the indian real estate industry which has undergone a massive supply side consolidation in the last uh, 10 years i'm also on the lookout for any favorable or unfavorable regulatory changes because this can be a big driver of alpha generation and i'm also on the lookout for emerging sectoral adoption trends here a very good example is how we consume music so in the old days we used to consume music through uh, audio cassettes and cds but today music streaming is uh, basically the way we consume music so we use make we make use of music streaming apps like spotify saavn gana youtube etc but one of my favorite ways for generating alpha is through tracking corporate events namely change in promoter and management block deals merger arbitrage demergers and companies having completed a significant capex so let's have let's have a look at a few case studies in each of these areas so this is the first case study based on promoter and management change so in august 2020 the stock of cg power was trading at sub 10 rupees it, the stock had been hammered out of shape because the previous year in 2019 the company had been hit with a 3000 crore rupee fraud in august 2020 entered the murugappa group from south india a group known for stellar standards of corporate governance and ever since the acquisition of cg power by murugappa group in august 2020 the stock of cg power has given more than 1500% returns already so when a company with low perceived standards of corporate governance is taken over by another company with very high stellar standards of corporate governance you get massive value creation and you end up having big multi baggers now this was a past example which has played out in a big way let's talk about a live example from the current market so in august so in 2020 uh, you also had embassy embassy group announcing the merger of india bulls real estate with itself and what's going to happen here is the erstwhile promoters of india bulls real estate have already sold sold out their all their holdings now they're Uh, the promoter holding of the erstwhile promoters has basically come down to almost zero. What's good, and now only the shareholder meeting and the NCLT approvals remain. Once the merger gets completed, you'll get multiple catalysts for re-rating. And like I talked a few slides earlier, investing is a probabilistic activity, and it's all about getting the odds on your side as much as possible to the maximum extent possible. You want to stack 
multiple layers of positive probability events on your side. So what are those multiple layers of positive probability events in this case? First, once the new promoter embassy group takes over, you'll get a valuation re-rating because of the corporate governance premium, number one. Number two, uh, Jitendra Virwani will be the, uh, who's the chairman of the embassy group, he'll be the new promoter and he enjoys a very high reputation in the Indian uh, real estate circles. So for his leadership premium, also you'll get valuation re-rating. And finally, the residential real estate cycle in India has, has entered an upturn after almost a decade. So you'll get the alpha generation from there also. So you're getting multiple positive forces working in your favor. All that you need to do now is have patience and just let the merger play out and then hold on and, till, and enjoy the upside from the ongoing and upcoming real estate upcycle. The next source for idea generation, which I talked about was block deals. Now, sometimes in the stock market, you'll notice that even after a block, even after a blockbuster quarterly earnings report, the stock price does not react. In fact, it goes sideways or, it, or in fact, it even declines at times. And many investors are perplexed as to why this can happen. How can this happen? It may so happen that there is an institutional shareholder who's existing, who's trying to exit from the stock. And it may be for any technical reason, for example, the fund manager may be facing a redemption request or a new fund manager may have joined the fund and he, and he does not like this particular stock he just wants to sell it the reasons may be anything any random reason any technical reason but as investors we are focused on the value of the underlying business and the potential for returns from the current market price and whenever someone sells in desperation they tend to sell cheap and as a buyer i love to be on the opposite size side of such trades in which the other party is being forced to liquidate holdings at any price, regardless of underlying value. This is a special situation. So on 15 June, it was reported that Templeton Strategic Emerging Markets Fund had sold 2.36 lakh shares of Global Spirits at 430 rupees per share. And once the selling pressure got absorbed, and once this particular institutional investor was out of the stock, the stock of Global Spirits has given almost 300% returns the last six months and why did I mention this particular block deal specifically it's because this block deal coincided with a blockbuster quarterly earnings report of global spirits so you keep having block deals and bulk deals on a regular regular basis in the stock market but to generate that massive alpha you want to look for block deals which are taking place immediately after any particular company has reported a blockbuster quarterly report because that is when you look at what is known as a coil spring the earnings have exploded, the stock price is stagnant, and you are holding a coil spring in your hand, which will just bounce back in a very big way once the selling pressure from the big institutional shareholder is out of the system. The next source for added generation and alpha generation is merger arbitrage. So under the pen name Cogitator, Benjamin Graham had written several articles for the analyst journal, and he penned a seminal article on special situations in the fourth quarter 1946 issue in which he wrote in the broader sense a special situation is one in which a particular development is counted upon to yield a satisfactory profit in the security even though the general market does not advance in the narrow sense you do not have a real special situation unless the particular development is already underway and graham concluded the article by summing up the essence of a special situation as an expected corporate development within a time period estimable in the light of past experience. 
earlier early last year on january 24th 2021 i tweeted about a merger arbitrage opportunity in uh, haritha seating so mind industries was about to merge haritha seating with itself at a 1.52 to 1 merger ratio now for all the advocates of efficient markets just look at what was happening for every single shareholder of haritha seating would get 1.52 shares of mind industries whose stock price was trading at 508 So, as a shareholder of Haritha Seating, you would get five zero eight into one point five two, which is equal to seven seventy two worth of shares of Minden Industries. But the stock price of Haritha Seating was five thirty four. So you could have simply made forty percent returns in a matter of few months just by patiently holding onto your stock and doing nothing. On fourth February, Minden Industries reported a blockbuster set of numbers for the quarter, and because of the merger ratio of one point five two to one. For every ten percent up move in Minda Industry stock, as an investor in Haritha Seating, you would enjoy fifteen point two percent capital appreciation because of the way the merger ratio was structured. And this was a special situation in which a patient investor would get paid just for waiting. The very next day, fifth February two thousand twenty-one, the merger came one step closer to completion, and only the Chennai NCLT order remained pending. The merger finally got completed on 9th April 2021, and the stock of Haritha Seating was delisted from the stock exchanges at a price of 766. So, from a price of 534 of Haritha Seating on 24th Jan to a price of 766 of Haritha Seating on 9th April, you could have basically made 40% returns in just two and a half months by taking uh, advantage of the merger arbitrage at play. Now, having understood how a merger arbitrage works in the stock market. I would like to now highlight two live examples of merger arbitrage in the market as we stand today. So, in February two thousand twenty-one, April Apollo announced the merger of Apollo Tricot with itself at a one-to-one merger ratio, and in July two thousand twenty-one, Equitas Holdings announced the merger of Equitas Small Finance Bank with itself at a two-point-two-six-to-one merger ratio. Just check the stock prices of these four companies today as they stand today, and see if there is any potential for merger arbitrage. The next source for added generation is that of companies having incurred a significant capex. So, let's have a look at this particular company. This is a snapshot of a particular company from Screener, and as you can see, from March two thousand twenty-one to September two thousand twenty-one, the gross block of this company, the fixed assets, have more than doubled. And it's a pretty well-managed company. In two thousand eighteen, they generated ROC of thirty-three point four percent. In 2019, they generated ROC of 28.28%. In March 2020, they generated ROC of 29% plus. But in the latest financial year, March 2021, they incurred a small loss. Now, if you were using a just simply using a mechanical screener and putting one of the criteria as net profit more than zero, you would end up missing such opportunities. In these opportunity, in these cases, you simply have to dig deeper to see why such an effic efficiently managed business. Reported a loss all of a sudden in the latest financial year. In this case, it was because this company shut down their existing plant for four five months to synchronize with the new plant which was which had been set up, and as a result, they did not generate any revenue from their existing plant for four five months. While they kept in while they kept incurring the fixed costs, that's why they ended up reporting a small loss for the year. But now the uh, new plant has been fully integrated, and. Uh, now the sales and profits from the new facility will start showing in the numbers so this is how you get such uh, opportunities in the stock market this the stock of this particular company has already fallen 50% last year from the 52 week high and 
it was available at a very low market cap and at a very depressed valuation now it has recovered to a large extent but there was a time that where because of the short term loss reported by the company the um, investors in the market just dumped the stock and were offering it to investors like our like us at a very cheap price so focus on value price is basically more of a distraction in the stock market you have to just keep focusing on value because in the very long term the stock prices converges with the earnings growth and the growth in free cash flow of the company you will always take one of these four risks when you buy a stock business risk management risk valuation risk industry risk and there are only four things that can happen in investing a big profit a big loss a small profit and a small loss and if you can eliminate the big losses you shall do very well there is no bigger mistake in investing than holding on to your losers for a long time going wrong occasionally is perfectly acceptable but staying wrong after even even after realizing your mistake that is not acceptable and how can you eliminate the big losses in the stock market you can eliminate the big losses in the market by avoiding certain things and there are certain things which i strive to avoid as an investor both for myself and for my clients at stellavel partners namely investing in commodity and cyclical businesses near the peak of the cycle investing in government owned companies because the promoter scheme motivation is not wealth creation for shareholders it's for doing societal good investing in project based businesses dealing with government tenders investing in melting ice cubes or what i call value traps these are businesses which look optically cheap but they will remain cheap and become even more depressed in terms of earnings over time because the underlying business is in structural decline so a good example here is the newspaper stocks in india they have always looked cheap for the last many years and they'll remain cheap as we keep there's a value migration going on towards digital media consumption i avoid going venturing outside my circle of competence and driven by the lure of quick short term returns in bull markets it's very important not to let your guard down during bull markets because the mistakes of the bull market are realized only in the subsequent bear markets but it's only after going through the pain of a few bear markets that investors mature and realize the importance of not going down the quality ladder during the fag end of a bull market a very big problem with many companies in india is that they have bad accounting quality or corporate governance issues and many uh, people tend to ask me how do i evaluate the quality of the managements in the businesses that i invest in without meeting them it's through use of a comprehensive corporate governance checklist and i check for any frequent change in auditors any qualifications raised by auditors are the auditors earning any abnormal fees is the auditor fees growing faster than revenue growth does the company have many unaudited sub foreign subsidiaries with it does the promoter have any political affiliations or criminal proceedings against him has the company been subject to any cbi enforcement directed or, or it raids in the past or any uh, instances of sebi debarment what is the history of resignations and attrition in the c suite or the management suite of the company is the key management personnel drawing excessive remuneration or blowing large sums on building a lavish corporate office has there been excessive equity dilution has the promoter pledging his shares is the promoter holding coming down what is the history of the company in terms of sharing wealth with the minority shareholders in the forms of dividends and share buybacks what are the credit rating reports saying are there any related related party transactions taking place in the company if so are they very significant what is the view of current and ex employees of the company you can get this information on websites like glassdoor what are the industry experts saying about the company what are reputed investors saying about the company 
does the promoter have a similar business as the listed entity in his private company because that may lead to a conflict of interest also check for the quality of the accounting followed by the company so when i say evaluation of accounting quality i'll give a few examples here i check for volatility in depreciation rates because the depreciation rate can be easily modified by the management to manipulate earnings i check if expenses have been directly written off from the balance sheet against reserves and surpluses instead of being routed through the profit and loss statement thus inflating profit i check whether the company is following a very aggressive revenue recognition policy because they may be wanting to front load the revenues and capitalize the expenses to basically paint a more rosy picture during bull markets is the business very working capital intensive what is the trend of accounts receivables and inventory days what is the trends in historical cash flow from operations to profit after tax ratio because this tells me how much of the reported earnings are being converted into uh, cash flow from operation one more good ratio is uh, cash flow from, from operations to ebitda ratio that's also very commonly used by many investors if any company in a commodity industry is enjoying abnormally high margins versus its peers then that's something which should which should make you sit up and take notice it's not normal for a commodity company to earn 30% margins while its other commodity peers are earning 10% margins so do a deep dive in such instances i also check whether the company has engaged in an excessive write offs of its assets in the past does the company capitalize its operating expenses so a good example here is the indian pharmaceutical industry in which the research and development or r&d is a very common line expense item but some promoters tend to capitalize their r&d to smooth out their earnings so that's very uh, aggressive accounting and uh, i'd like to follow i like to prefer managements which are more conservative in their accounting which expense out the entire r&d in their profit and loss statement in the year it is incurred i check for trends in the debt to equity ratio whether the company has engaged in any statutory payments default in the past does the company have any high contingent liabilities does it also have any off balance sheet obligations for example has the is there any, any guarantee given by the promoter on its on its group entities through the listed company now some people may ask what's the need to do all this hard work who looks at balance sheet and cash flow statements in a bull market let alone footnotes to the accounts the answer to that is that when you're in a position of fiduciary responsibility and you're advising families and individual working professionals on investing their hard earned savings and their hard earned money then you owe it to them to reciprocate their trust in you and following this particular corporate governance checklist from this slide actually helped me avoid including a particular stock for my flexicap small case a few months ago it was a specialty chemicals company catering to the textiles industry and the promoters were constantly coming on business television channels and giving very rosy painting a very bullish picture they were also announcing very high profile tie ups with foreign companies but one deep dive into its latest annual reports and there were red flags galore and even though the stock is hitting a fresh 50 week high recently but uh, my past experience tells me that these sins committed by companies and promoters during a bull market eventually catch up with them during the subsequent bear market so i just want to stay away from such companies and i'm happy to forego some short term returns from such companies and rather focus on healthy uh, and good returns from companies which have got negligible corporate governance concerns another very important thing that i strive to avoid as an investor is to take a short term view because investing is a long term game and the more time you give it the higher the odds of success and why do i say this 
it's because in the short term any period less than one year almost half of the stock price movement is driven by the valuation multiple which in turn is driven by the sentiment among investors so in the short term the stock prices are largely driven by changes in sentiments but over the long term of 10 years and more almost 90% of the stock price movement is explained by sales and profit growth and in the seminal piece on valuation which is titled valuation measuring and managing the value of companies the authors write and i quote we have found empirically that long term revenue growth particularly organic revenue growth is the most important driver of shareholder returns for companies with high returns on capital traditionally there have been three sources of edge for the individual investor initially there was what is known as the information age this used to exist in the early 1950s and 60s but with the advent of the internet and widespread dissemination of information the information age is basically gone the second source of edge traditionally for the investor has been the analytical edge but with more and more smart people entering the investing profession even the analytical edge is fast getting compressed but the one edge which in my view is the most durable and sustainable is that of behavior and temperament shane parish of farnham street blog writes and i quote people who arbitrage time will almost always outperform the first order thought of instant gratification is a crowded path ensuring mediocre results at best delayed gratification which requires second order thinking is less crowded and more likely to get results in a similar vein howard marks writes in a quote rule number 1 most things will prove to be cyclical and rule number 2 some of the greatest opportunities for gain and loss come when other people forget rule number 1 50 years ago the best investors were the ones with an informational edge today the best investors are the ones with a behavioral edge as the speed of information dissemination in the markets and competition for short term outperformance among money managers increased over the years time horizons and patience levels significantly decreased today an investor's edge is less about knowing more than others about a specific stock and more about the mindset discipline and willingness to take a long term view about the intrinsic value of a business and i've talked about this in elaborate detail in my book's chapter on delayed gratification and i would like to quote an extract from that particular chapter that investors generally overlook businesses that are doing things that will create significant incremental earnings one to two years from now because they don't want to wait that far out and investors often shun businesses that are investing for the future and currently are suffering from low initial margins in those new initiatives because capacity gets utilized only over time and the earnings growth is back ended even if they execute well they will see little reported earnings growth for the next four to eight quarters and may even see a decline resulting from incremental depreciation and poor initial margins and even if they are expected to experience an exponential jump in earnings growth after that the stock markets generally do not initially increase the market value of these businesses they do re-rate them however around the time when the earnings growth is clearly visible as investors we get an edge over competition if we pick these companies and have the patience and conviction to hold them although these businesses are clearly undervalued on a, on a longer term basis it is psychologically challenging to invest in them and even more so to hold on to them and these difficulties result in a lack of investors and the subsequent mispricing of these stocks because the price discovery is weak when investors attention on these stocks is low let me illustrate this with the help of a personal example 
so during 2018 and 2019 the indian auto industry was experiencing a down cycle after the nbfc crisis and there was an auto ancillary company named rajratan global wire which was undergoing a very big capacity expansion program because the entire auto sector was out of favor the investors attention on this particular stock was low but as soon as the capacity expansion got over and the earnings visibility went up post a recovery in the auto cycle the stock of rajratan global has given more than 1000% returns since april 2020 and this is deep value investing at its finest you want to ride such capex plays through the full industry cycle invest in them when the industry is undergoing a downturn because you get to buy them at low valuation and low market caps and then you patiently hold on to them through the full industry recovery up to the peak of the upturn and then exit in a timely manner to reap maximum capital appreciation so when you invest in these company during a downturn just check their balance sheet whether they can actually survive another one or two years of the industry downturn and then this take stay put and be patient like howard marks said rule number 1 most things will prove to be cyclical but more importantly rule number 2 some of the greatest opportunities for gain and loss come when other people forget rule number 1 successful investing is all about pattern recognition just a few slides ago recall what i had said that the stock markets generally do not initially increase the market value of these businesses they do re-rate them however around the time when the earnings growth is clearly visible on 10th january 2021 i tweeted about a company named ultramarine pigments which had completed a big capacity expansion and was trading at low valuation and my thesis was that earnings growth coupled with margin expansion should now lead to pe re-rating because the new capex for this company had been done in the higher margin business of surfactants and since 10th january 2021 the stock of uh, ultramarine pigments has given more than 40% returns till date so i had mentioned that successful investing is all about pat all about pattern recognition so much so that in my book i have devoted an entire chapter to pattern recognition in which i have shared the various catalysts for re-rating through the use of management and market signals and I, let me quote from that particular chapter along with the slow and gradual macro changes investors should also be alert to tiny changes at the micro level be alert to tiny changes like the declaration of a maiden dividend receipt of a large order or a landmark contract appointment of a big for auditor increased or first time disclosures or discussion about business prospects and future plans in annual reports presentations or press releases a chairman of a, or a, or a ceo of a listed company sharing business commentary for the first time a company holding an analyst or investor conference call for the first time or after a long time an upgrade of a company's debt instruments by the rating agencies a sudden increase in the market value of a company's bonds because bonds are more sensitive than stocks to changes in the economic fortunes of a company or notable improvements or deteriorations in the working capital cycle always monitor the direction of the quality of earnings and such an elaborate and exhaustive exercise requires total dedication on part of the investor but it is highly rewarding so one of the patterns i just i just discussed was about always monitoring the direction of the quality of earnings and why is that so important because in investing one should always focus on delta that is on the rate of change in earnings growth and its underlying quality warren buffett has very aptly said that a business should be viewed as an unfolding movie not as a still photograph refer to this particular screenshot from the annual report of a company in india 
it's a pretty old company it was incorporated in 1919 and from 1919 to 2005 they were in the fertilizer business in 2005 they shut down the fertilizer business and started manufacturing low margin bulk chemicals and from 2011 onwards they have shifted their focus to high margin specialty chemicals business earlier last year on 10th february 2021 this company came out with a detailed outline on its capex plans and as soon as the visibility of its earnings went up among the investor community post the release of this particular presentation the stock of dharamsi monoji chemicals has given more than 50% returns since that particular date so the, that was the first pattern about monitoring the direction of the quality of earnings the second pattern which i would like to discuss now is increased or first time disclosures or discussions about business prospects and future plans in annual reports presentations or press releases so in the uh, early part of the presentation i talked about the various sources for idea generation and i talked then about how working hard today will help you find good luck in future and how i review the bsc corporate announcements the press releases and the investor presentations on a daily basis this is on the right hand side of this slide you can see a screenshot from the investor presentation of a microcap company on which was released on 1st of november 2021 just uh, two and a half months ago in which they mentioned about a 96 crore capex at 3x asset turn which means that they would generate 300 crores of additional revenue from their capex and this capex would go live by second quarter of fy23 so within a span of less than 2 years the company was talking about quadrupling its revenues because the trailing 12 month revenues of this company as you can see here was 101 so from 100 they would basically go to 400 dollar 400 of revenues quadrupling of revenues and since first february since first november 2021 the stock of natural capsules has given more than a 150% return already so that was the second pattern the third pattern which i would like to discuss today is that of receipt of a landmark contract so in early 2020 uh, navin fluorine had uh, won a 2900 crore uh, order in its high performance product business and since that particular date receipt of that particular large order the stock of navin fluorine has given almost 140% returns since that particular date now it's very interesting to understand what has happened here out of the 140% stock price returns of navin fluorine almost 100% out of that 140% stock return has come from pe re-rating so if you see the pe of navin fluorine basically got re-rated from 40 to 80 so 100% out of the 140% stock price returns came from pe re-rating now we need to understand as investors why did this pe re-rating take place why did the p ratio of navin fluorine double and for that we need to understand the art of valuation to be a successful investor you don't need to do a precise dcf calculation on a spreadsheet not at all you just need to have a dcf mindset focusing on the drivers of terminal value which in turn drives multiple re-rating and de-rating be a business analyst not a securities analyst and intelligent investing is all about understanding intrinsic value so let's go back to first principles the intrinsic value of an asset is the sum of the cash flows expected to be received from that asset over its remaining useful life discounted for the time value of money 
and the uncertainty of receiving those cash flows. Valuation is an art form. Determining the present value of all the future cash flows of a business involves looking at the various aspects of a business's DNA, including its capital intensity, business model durability, balance sheet strength, profitability, competitive position, future growth prospects, and management bandwidth, among other factors, all weighed and compared with the current price. Some businesses are easier to value than others. Predictability of cash flows is an important factor. In other words, it is easier to value a business with stable operations and cash flows than a business with high volatility in its underlying operations every year. And less predictable cash flows need to be discounted at a higher rate. And why is that? Now, I'm about to cover a very important aspect of valuation, so please pay attention. In the previous slide I mentioned that the intrinsic value of an asset is the sum of cash flows expected to be received from that asset, discounted for the time value of money, right? And the uncertainty of receiving those cash flows, what drives that discount rate? It is the risk perception of the cash flows which drives the discount rate. And the discount rate in turn drives the valuation. The market places a heavy weight on certainty and stocks with the promise of years of predictable earnings growth tend to go into a long period of overvaluation until such time that they are no longer able to grow earnings in a steady manner. Predictability of long-term growth matters more to the market than the absolute rate of near-term growth. So a stock that promises to grow earnings at 50% for the next few years with no clarity thereafter is given a lower valuation multiple by the market than a stock that has slower but highly predictable growth for a much longer period. Consistent growth increases valuation and consistent, consistent disruption decreases valuation. And the longevity of growth is always given a greater weight by the market than the absolute rate of growth. So you will often notice stocks with 12 to 15% predictable earnings growth for the next 10 to 15 years, getting current year P multiples of 40 times to 50 times. This phenomena perplexes most new investors, but with, but with experience, they come to appreciate the finer nuances of the market and respect its wisdom. The expensive, high-quality secular growth stocks tend to remain at elevated valuations for extended periods of time because investors in such stocks generally are willing to wait out periods of high valuation until earnings catch up. And markets provide disproportionate rewards to companies that can provide years of sustainable earnings growth. Why so? It's because longevity of growth is becoming increasingly scarce in today's world, which is characterized by a rapid pace of change. Fewer than 12% of the Fortune 500 companies from 1955 were still on the list 62 years later in 2017, and 88% of those companies had either gone bankrupt or had merged with or had been acquired by another firm. And this is Joseph's computer's creative destruction at its very finest. Companies which have got higher longevity and higher duration of cash flows, by definition, have got higher intrinsic value. Again, I come back to the very important point which I mentioned that it is the perception among investors regarding the riskiness of the cash flows of a business, which drives the discount rate which they use to value that business. That in turn drives the valuation multiple. So I'll give you a good example here. So recently after Saregama completed its 750 crore QIP, and once the management clarified in the conference call that the entire QIP proceeds would be used for developing the music licensing business and not a single rupee would go towards the loss making karma and film production business, 
the valuation of Sargama Limited, which was already re-rated, got further re-rated, got further boost and got further re-rated because the risk perception among the investors regarding the cash flows of the business went on even further after the clarification. So that led to a further bump up in the valuation multiple. Similarly, there is a company, uh, it's not a stock recommendation and we do not we do not hold it in our small case portfolios or proprietary accounts. There's a company called Solar Active Pharmaceuticals. Today, the company gets a very low valuation multiple because of its high dependence on the commodity ibuprofen business. But over time, if they manage to scale up their cramps business and scale, and scale up the non-commodity part of the business, you will notice that the risk perception about the cash flows of the business among investors will improve and that will help lower the discount rate and the valuation multiple for that business will again go up. So you have to just focus on where the puck is going, not where the puck has been. You want to focus on the trajectory investing. That's why we say investing is all about the future trajectory. And as long as the ROIC, ROC profile is improving over time, as long as the capital allocation is solid and the management is not engaging in bad capital allocation or a value destructive capital allocation, when I say value destructive capital allocation, I'm referring to investments in which the return on capital is less than the cost of capital of the business. So as long as the capital allocation is solid, as long as the growth prospects remain healthy, just stay put of subject to valuations, of course. If there is one big thing that has benefited me immensely in my investing, trading and wealth creation journey over the years, it is this listening very attentively to and learning from peers, seniors and juniors who are much more smarter and hardworking than me. So one should always be humble. The more you reach out to and associate with individuals, whether younger or older, who are better and smarter than you are, the more you will learn and the faster you will improve. It is better to be an average guy on a star team than a star on an average team. The former will be better for you in the long term. The latter is just an ego trip. And the people closest to you play an outsized role in your level of success or failure. So choose wisely. You are, after all, the average of the five people you associate with the most in your life. And the beauty of today's digital age is that there are so many bright and hardworking investors and traders on Twitter, WhatsApp groups, and Telegram channels. And all I need to do is listen attentively to what they are sharing and then sincerely do the required study at mind. And there has never been a better time to be a humble and grounded person. Ralph Waldo Emerson had said, and I quote, every man I meet is my master in some point, And in that I learn of him. Learning and accepting help from others creates value far beyond our individual capabilities. So look at every interaction as an opportunity to learn from the people you meet. You'll be amazed at how quickly you grow and how much better you become, both as a professional and more importantly, as a human being. So keep learning from everyone. In August 2020, I tweeted about how I had watched a webinar by one of my junior colleagues named Soumya Malani and I had noted on a key learning from him uh, in, through the Solara Active Pharmaceuticals Demerger case study, which he had discussed. And on 4th August 2020, I had applied that very learning from him to Arthi Surfactants when it experienced heavy trading volume after a series of lower circuits. And after hitting a series of lower circuits on that particular day, finally the lower circuit got broken and the, the selling pressure had been absorbed and had entered the particular script. And since August 2020, August 4th, 2020, the stock of Arthi Surfactants went on to give more than 600% returns from there before giving up a large part of the gains in the last few months. Having understood how to 
play the demergers from my colleague. I used that very same learning again on 29th March 2021 to a stock named Jubilant Engravia. And since March 2021, uh, the stock of Jubilant Engravia went on to give more than 200% returns before pairing the uh, a last part of the gains in the recent market correction. Now here I would like to explain that there are various ways to play demergers, but in my experience, the really big money in demergers is played through two ways, a market cap demerger and a sectoral demerger. So let me explain what does the market cap demerger mean, first of all. Aarti surfactants had got demerged from its parent company, Aarti Industries. And because Aarti Industries had uh, some DII and FI holding, some institutional shareholding, when those institutional investors were handed over shares of this micro cap Aarti surfactants, they did not want to do they did not want to have anything to, anything to do with this micro cap so they tried to dump the shares in the open market at any price they could fetch for it because of their institutional mandates many of institutional investors are not allowed to invest in stocks below a certain market cap size so when they get handed shares from a demerger for micro cap size company they engage in forced selling so that's an example of a market cap demerger you want to basically track uh this particular dumping of the shares by these investors on the open market and just be alert as to when the selling pressure has got completely absorbed the second way to maximize returns from a demerger through forced selling is that of a sectoral demerger so in jubilant in Gravia's case it was demerged out of jubilant life sciences and even though jubilant in Gravia listed listed at a decent market cap because it was a chemical stock and because its parent company Jubilant Life Sciences was held by many pharmaceutical funds, again by their very institutional mandate, they were not allowed to hold a chemical company, even though Jubilant Ingria was a just a decent, just a standard decent chemical business, but and a decent market cap. But because these those pharma funds were not allowed to hold a chemical stock in their portfolio, they again engaged in forced selling. That in turn got the stock price of Jubilant Ingria down 40-50% post-listing. So that is how you make the really big money in demergers when there is forced selling because of a market cap demerger or because of a sectoral demerger. I'll, this was some past case studies. Now I'll give you an upcoming sectoral demerger. What's going to happen? So Arthi uh, Pharmaceuticals is going to get demerged from Arthi Industries again. Again, the same thing will play out. All the chemical sector funds which are holding Arthi Industries, they will not be allowed to hold a farmer farmer stock in their portfolios and as a result you will notice the shares of Arthi's pharmaceuticals facing forced selling whenever it it, it gets listed uh, later this year a similar case may or may not i'm not sure but may play out in, uh, in the domestic wiring harness harness business of mothers and sumi which has got a very big uh, fi plus di holding when the domestic wiring harness business gets listed uh, next month then that time that may also face some selling pressure because it may fall under the uh, market cap demerger category. So just be on the lookout for whether there is any there is any forced selling in that particular stock after listing. So I talked about management promoter change in the beginning of the presentation. I talked about demergers right now. What is the ultimate form of a special situation? It's when you get demerger coupled with a promoter and management change. So in September 2021, Adwind, the private equity giant, acquired the Eureka Forbes business, the crown jewel uh, of Shaporji Polanji Group for an enterprise value of 4,400 crores. Again, this was an instance of forced selling because 
Sapporji Polinji Group, as of September, had a total debt of 20,000 crores, and in order to pay their debt, the group was forced to part with its crown jewel asset, that is the Eureka Poops business. Now, if you simply look at the uh, price to sales or market cap to sales multiple, which all the leading consumer brands in India enjoy, like Symphony, and if you simply compare that with what Eureka Poops will list at, it was very clear that, that was, there was a profitable opportunity at play. So, even though the stock of uh, Forbes and Company has already given good returns since September of last year, I think once uh, the Eureka Forbes business get listed, it may get a further re-rating boost after that. And again, let's uh, talk about that important slide on the process. I talked about how you want to stack multiple layers of positive probability on your side. So in this case, the first layer of protection which you got was a reasonable entry price. The second layer of protection or the advantage you'll get is that Advent already has a proven track record of turning around consumer companies in India. They have had a very successful track record of turning around the Compton consumer business in the past. They created a lot of value. So the base rate of success is pretty reasonable to high in my view for this particular turnaround, turnaround also to happen. Even if even in a company like, company like DFM Foods, which Advent took over, if you look at all the series of steps they took to maximize the uh, return potential of, potential of the business. I think they have taken all the right steps. It's just that because schools and the primary uh, target audience of that particular business, they were not, you know, they were basically disrupted by the pandemic. That's why this, that business of DFM Foods has not been able to, to turn around yet. But in case of uh, this, particular, this particular situation of Forbes and Company and the Eureka Forbes business, because it won't be affected by the pandemic like DFM Foods was, I think, the base rate of success in this particular situation is much more favorable. So what is the big insight that we get from all this? It is that all intelligent investing is value investing. If I had not self-educated myself on different areas of value in the markets and instead restricted myself only to one way of investing, then I would have never been able to participate in broad-based bull markets. My personal investment opportunity set has significantly expanded over the years with time and experience in the markets. Initially, I started off by investing in low price to book and low price to earning stocks because I started off like most investors by reading Graham's The Intelligent Investor. Then I read Buffett, Munger, Phil Fisher, and then I started investing in quality businesses at fair prices. But today, it covers multiple areas of the investment universe, including deep value, cyclicals, commodities, turnarounds, special situations like merger arbitrage, demergers. And instead of being restricted by my personal biased views to a small opportunity set, as was the case in my early years, I'm now able to invest in a variety of industries and situations wherever I find mispricing of value and a highly favorable risk and return trade-off. You see, no single strategy works all of the time and in a, every kind of market. And that is why it is essential to build up one's investing arsenal to be able to hunt for value from within different areas. And over the years, I've come to realize and appreciate just why this is so critically important. It is because a bull market is always going on at all points of time in some specific sectors of the Indian stock market. Between 96 to 2000, it was in technology, media, and communications. Between 2003 to 2008, it was in infrastructure, commodities, real estate, organized retail. Between 2009 to 2014, it was in discretionary consumption, pharmaceuticals, IT services, FMCG. Between 2015 to 2018, it was in autos, specialty chemicals, financials like NBFCs and microfinance companies. And since March 2020, 
a new bull run has uh, basically emerged in the import substitution place and various sub segments within india's manufacturing industry contract development and manufacturing organizations contract research and manufacturing services building materials housing finance companies ethanol blending digital transformation electric vehicles multiple trends have emerged since march 2020 and it is my personal belief and conviction that the opportunities in the next 20 years in india will be far greater than those in the past 20 years and the opportunities of the last 20 years will be dwarfed by the opportunities of the next 20 years and where will those opportunities come from they'll come from two sources varying perception and long term structural trends varying perception refers to situations where you get earnings growth coupled with roc expansion and you get valuation deteriorating and you end up having multi baggers and varying perception comes from a differentiated view on the short to medium term trajectory of the business there are various triggers for varying perception namely products mix change which can lead to margin expansion because margin expansion is a key driver of roc expansion it can come from capex which in turn can lead to operating leverage once the pre production costs have been recovered the company can experience operating leverage after that if the company engages in deleveraging you can get a further boost because as the debt goes down interest costs go down net profit goes up market cap goes up varying perception can also come from an industry cycle shift like we saw how the residential real estate cycle turned around from the middle of 2020 that's an example of an industry cycle shift another example of an industry cycle shift that we're seeing witnessing right now is that in the capital goods industry recently kumar mangalam birla talked about the capex mahots of in india over the next 10 years driven by especially by the plsk so capital goods especially the industrial consumables or items having repeat usage within the capital goods industry they can provide very good alpha generation so investors should definitely study those areas varying perception can also come from a regulatory change so since early 2020 we have seen a heavy emphasis by the government of india on ethanol blending and that has already led to many multi baggers from the industry space varying perception can also come from improvement in asset turns so this is information which you can easily get from conference calls you can actually ask the management what is the expected asset turnover on the new capacity and between margin expansion and improvement in asset turns i prefer the latter because high margins tend to attract competition Varying perception can also come from corporate actions like demergers, reverse mergers, promoter management change. Can also come from divestiture of a loss-making business because as the loss-making business gets sold, the remaining company's net profit goes up, market cap goes up. Varying perception can also come from divestiture of a non-core business because many conglomerate companies in India get what is known as a conglomerate discount. But the stock markets like focus; they like focus managements, focusing on the core business, core business. So. whenever management sell off the non core businesses which are low return on capital employed businesses those stocks tend to get re further re-rated that was about varying perception now we come to long term structural trends long term structural trends are found in industries with a favorable structure they usually organized as a monopoly or a duopoly or an oligopoly at best and they are experiencing some form of an industry tailwind they have consistency and predictability of cash flows they have a long runway for growth so you have high visibility for many years ahead they also tend to be characterized by value migration so in india we have had value migration going on from unorganized to organized public to private offline to online there are multiple structural growth plays in the indian market cdmos scrams contract manufacturing specialty chemicals with critical application animal healthcare fintech music streaming e-commerce 
electric vehicles, digital transformation, and cloud computing. And now I'm about to share a very important principle for value creation for, with all of you. There are two kinds of businesses in the stock market, one with low returns on capital employed and one with high returns on capital employed. In case of businesses with low returns on capital employed, the maximum delta, the maximum rate of change, the maximum intrinsic value creation takes place when they focus on improving their return on capital employed. And that comes from focusing on varying perception. In case of companies with higher returns on capital employed, the maximum delta, the maximum rate of change, the maximum intrinsic value creation takes place when they focus on increasing their top line growth. And that is what we focus on in the long-term structural trends. So as Stellarwell partners, our Stellarwell FlexiCap small case is primarily based on varying perception. And our Stellarwell Megatrend small case is primarily based on long-term structural trends. Both of these are benchmark agnostic portfolios of 25 to 30 names each. And in case anyone wants to understand the rationale for having 25 to 30 holdings in each of these small cases, it's because that is the optimal number of holdings to maximize the risk return trade-off. As per a study published in the international bestseller, A Random Walk Down Wall Street, as the number of stocks in a portfolio reaches 25 to 30 names, the incremental volatility reducing benefits of diversification reach near zero. This is the sweet spot for an active investor seeking to outperform the market. At 25 to 30 stocks, you have captured almost all of the benefits of diversification, yet the number of companies you need to know thoroughly is still manageable. I would like to conclude with a brief about how value investing, in my view, is a life discipline. So investing is a field of competitive learning, and Benjamin Franklin, Franklin has put it very, very aptly that an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Warren Buffett conquers. Uh, the more you learn, the more you'll earn. The best investment you can make is an investment in yourself. In August 2016, Michael Maubison had authored a brilliant paper titled 30 Years, Reflections on the 10 Attributes of Great Investors. And in one of my past interviews on Stock and Ladder blog, I shared those 10 attributes along with the, some of the best readings on each of those attributes. So let me just outline those 10 attributes for the benefits of our audience. Be numerate, understand value, properly assess strategy, compare effectively, think probabilistically, update your views effectively, beware of behavioral biases, know the difference between information and influence, position sizing, and reading. And I've added three more attributes to that list, namely extreme levels of patience coupled with the ability to act decisively, multidisciplinary thinking, and inversion. So keep learning uh, and uh, keep growing. That is my key message to all of you today. The value investing discipline has certain finer aspects that we come to realize and appreciate only with the passage of time and with experience. With the passage of time, we learn to recognize that value investing is not merely about stocks and business fundamentals. It is a life discipline. And I've explained the same in my book's section on overrated and underrated behaviors. And I'll share a few of them with all of you. Knowledge is overrated. Wisdom is underrated. Intellect is overrated. Temperament is underrated. Outcome is overrated. Process is underrated. Forecasting is overrated. Preparation is underrated. Confidence is overrated. Humility is underrated. Conviction is overrated. Pragmatism is underrated. Complexity is overrated. Simplicity is underrated. Analytical ability is overrated. Personal behavior is underrated. 
having a high income level is overrated inculcating a disciplined saving habit is underrated competition with peers is overrated helping them is underrated large personal net worth is overrated good karma is underrated talent is overrated resilience is underrated being the best investor is overrated being the most authentic version of yourself is underrated i would like to end with uh, two key messages from my book that the goals of investment should be happiness joy growth intellectual satisfaction and eventually peace and serenity wealth and financial prosperity are natural by products of lifelong learning and many people achieve success but to sustain the same and potentially build on it over an entire lifetime requires humility gratitude and a constant learning mindset for any feedback or queries feel free to connect with me on stellarwealthpartners.com i can also be reached on linkedin and twitter you can learn more about my chapter on investing titled the discipline of investing at getchapter.app/gautam readers can get their copy of the book on amazon google play books and book depository website and you can also email me at info@stellarwealthpartners.com and with that i come to the end of my presentation thank you vikas yeah thank you gautam uh, i think it was a great presentation a very detailed one and uh, we truly uh, you know appreciate the kind of efforts that you have put into to prepare this presentation you can turn off the presentation and we'll have if you allow me we'll take some questions sure yep. yeah you are okay uh, taking some questions right sure okay so few questions quickly uh, one is where do you see nifty to be 10 years down the line <laughs> not even god knows where the nifty levels will be tended down the line i think it's basically meaningless to focus on indices and the index levels because that just short term distractions and short term noise ultimately at the end of the day if you focus on good stocks you'll do very well over time in fact in my book i've shared a table if you recall about a list of great businesses and bad businesses from india in january 2008 which was the peak of the previous bull market and i've showed the stock price performance right from the peak of that previous bull market till the bottom of the subsequent bear market and what the table shows is that the great businesses even when when measured from the previous bull market top to the subsequent bear market bottom they end up creating wealth across market cycles even in the middle of negative headlines like rising interest rates rising inflation geopolitical tensions disease outbreaks and the like but bad businesses eventually destroy wealth irrespective of whether the headlines are positive or negative so just focus on the underlying business I'll give you one more very good example here, which I've shared in my book as well. From December to this, from December 1964 to December 1981, the Dow Jones Industrial Average advanced only one point from 875 to 876. But Warren Buffett compounded his capital for at 20% CAGR over those 17 years when the index index gave zero return. That's why I keep saying that investing is all about individual stock picking. Okay. Next question is, uh, sir, current uh, geopolitical risk and interest rate rate is uh, is a big risk for us. So how much cash position has to be kept now? Always something is going on. So, what is the strategy to deploy capital in portfolio systematically? You you also just said it right. So always something is going on. There's always something in the world to worry about. <laughs> But yeah, see, we have to evolve evolve our mindset to do to, to that of the big investors like Ramesh Damani, Ramdev Agarwal, Rakesh Jhinwala. Just ask yourself. what would rakesh jhinwala do in this situation would he sell his titan shares just because there's you no know, particular geopolitical tension taking place between russia and ukraine or there is an interest rate hike no right 
there has been in fact many years i think there have been there have been stretches of four five years in the past when titan stock gave zero zero returns but did junjuwala sell even a single share of titan no right because as long as the growth prospects remain robust and the valuations remain reasonable he did not ever want to sell out of a great business so once you have found the goose that lays the golden eggs don't kill the goose <laughs> so just stick on all right next question is uh, she is one of your investor uh, so hi gautam i have subscribed to your stellar wealth small case what shall i do when i have already some of the stocks in my personal portfolio i think she is referring to the duplication and some of them at a higher than the allocation percentage mentioned by you in small case right so basically the see you can the advantage of small case is that you are free to follow follow not follow the advice of the small case manager but in order to get the full benefit of the annual fee which you are paying it is strongly recommended for you to strictly follow the model portfolio at all times even if you have an existing portfolio which has stocks common with that in the small case i would still recommend you to strictly follow the model portfolio allocation because that is how you'll be able to understand better over time whether you are actually getting the full benefit of the annual fee that is the whole reason why you are paying the annual fee right you are you are paying to get the recommended weightages and the allocations the sectoral and the stock level allocations from the managers so strictly follow the model portfolio allocations is what i can say i agree with gautam i think it's very important that you align your portfolio Uh, with the portfolio manager because sometimes you know they de- do uh, change some weightages in the portfolio depending upon how the order book looks like how how the overall company's valuation looks like so you know it's very important and the second question is how do i get my portfolio change intimation so uh, so, so all yeah. these uh, small case clients are basically given a notification on their small case mobile app at 9:15 am on the morning of the ch- of the rebalance and after half an hour at 9:45 am they also get an email notification of the change all that they need to do is click on the link in the rebalance email and click on confirm update confirm rebalance and the rebalance is done automatically by the small case app yeah so the moment you click on that rebalancing automatically it, it would rebalance the portfolio right. all the stocks will get sold in the market you know through your broker yes. so whichever yes. broker so yeah i'm familiar with that uh, so i'm answering this on behalf of uh, small case uh the other question is uh, what about pms so mr single the pms is not started by gautam yet and uh, last time when i spoke to him i kind of advised him and requested him to start his pms and he's seriously thinking about it it might take some more time uh, so we'll come back to you and let you know uh the next question is uh, uh, where do you think uh, uh, markets are in india uh, from a business cycle perspective i think uh, we are in the sweet spot of the business cycle that's a good question i think we are in the sweet spot of the business cycle and this is why the recent correction is actually exciting me because see in a bear market like i said when the earnings 